What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about live regular season hockey because the NHL is back, baby. I am Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights Review Journal beat reporters. On the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, we are recording this on a Wednesday afternoon before the two of us will be off to our fourth hockey game already of the regular season. Uh, what a week is it has been. How are you doing? Awesome. I mean, we're a week in and we might already have the uh, best quote of the season, courtesy of Max Pacioretty. So <laughs> I'm stoked. It's uh, It's been a good start so far. All right. So we absolutely have to get into the quote that uh, Dave is referencing, which is uh, one in which Max Pacioretty made a reference to a 90s sports movie that Dave was a big fan of after the Golden Knights second game of the season against the Anaheim Ducks. I have promised on Twitter and to Dave that we are going to spend a lot of time on this podcast discussing that. And of course the uh, trends and storylines that we have noticed so far over the first three games of the golden night season. Before we get to all that, I want to remind everyone that the golden edge podcast is presented by action network. Uh, also please make sure to read all our written content at review journal.com. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the digital edition of the paper, uh, you also will get access to uh, special uh, content on our paper's e-edition moving forward here. So I highly encourage if you like this podcast and you like what we do, uh, that's a great way to obviously support the paper and support us. And of course, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, uh, please do to this one. It helps people find us and helps grow our audience, which is obviously what we're hoping to do uh, heading into uh, year four of the Golden Knights, year three of this podcast. All right. I have stalled. Long enough, uh, Max Pacioretty made a Little Giants reference after scoring an overtime winner against the Anaheim Ducks, saying he didn't want to give up, quote, the annexation of Puerto Rico uh, when he was asked if uh, everything had gone according to plan when it came to uh, the play that he and Mark Stone made that only took seven seconds to decide uh, that game's winner in overtime. Dave, I'm just going to turn this over to you. Uh, where does this rank not only of the season so far and what potentially the season moving forward here, but just all time nights press conference moments. Where is this for you? It's definitely up there. And I, okay. So let's set the scene here, right? Because we're all sitting on press row and Max Patrick, makes this reference and literally only about two or three of us are laughing out loud and I come to the realization that one, I am really old and you're looking at me like, what the heck are, are you, do you think is so funny? I went on Twitter and I, th I saw a couple people that were literally putting like the history of the annexation of Puerto Rico. And like, it, so I just like the fact that it was so subtle and slipped in there, I swear, Max Pastor, it must be like a locker room game that they play to like, let's see how many movie quotes like we can slip through in our media or whatever today. If that's the truth, if that's what, if it's a game, like Max Patrick scores huge points for getting this in there because it was such an awesome reference. So, okay. For those who don't know, and for you, Ben, so Thank you. I, 
I believe 1994, I think I looked up. So Little Giants is essentially like the football version of like Mighty Ducks. So you have kind of Ed O'Neill, who, and this is, this is another funny thing I was thinking about. So who is Ed O'Neill? If I say Ed O'Neill is the dad in Modern Family, you know who he is. To me, Ed O'Neill is the dad from Married with Children because I'm old. But Ed O'Neill is like kind of the, the former Heisman Trophy winner and he coaches like the, you know, the big bad peewee football team. And his brother is Rick Moranis, who kind of coaches the ragtag team. The star like player, well, they have the quarterback who comes in, but it's his daughter who's like the best player. So there's some kind of empowerment to the movie. And of course, at the end, like, you know, like all little kids sports movies, the ragtag team comes up with some kind of plan to upset the big powerful team and the play that they run, which is essentially a fumble ruski, but they call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. And what's really funny even to the story even further is that Ron Rivera, who is the coach of the Washington football team, has got some fascination with the annexation of Puerto Rico. I think they've run a version of it this year on like a fake punt. They ran it uh, in Carolina when he was the coach there. It's like this weird, just odd cultural reference. And so for Max Pacioretty to make it and... I guess for only a few of us to get it, I really did feel like I was in on the joke. It, it was kind of a cool moment, I have to say, even though I'm old. So I will, yeah, I will quick point out it's uh, not quite, at least in terms of immediate reaction, that I didn't get it. Which, by the way, I didn't. I would not have gotten it. It. I have not seen the movie. It is not the uh, sports movie of my childhood. So, shall we say I'm much more of a Mighty Ducks franchise person. Uh, but it was also just because I I did not hear the reference at first uh, to set the scene for uh, people. We are, of course, get to be at that at the games and we're very privileged to be able to do so. Uh, but part of that means conducting these post game Zoom calls in the press box and there's stuff still kind of happening around us. We're kind of the NHL's official stat keepers are kind of talking amongst themselves, making sure that all their ducks are in a row. Uh, the Zambonis are sometimes still kind of cleaning up the T-Mobile arena ice sheet while the players are doing interviews. So uh, if you were to have a camera on like the press row during these post-game Zoom calls, it would basically be a bunch of us like pressing our ears to our computer to make sure we're actually hearing what these guys are saying to us. So I, I completely missed the boat on Max Pacioretty dropping this nugget. And so if he had even made a Mighty Ducks reference, I would have missed it and not reacted. So I will, you know, just point out that that was kind of coloring my reaction. I also, as I have said, have not seen the movie and wouldn't have gotten it anyway. So my big question, Dave, as someone who has not seen this movie, where does Little Giants rank in your personal pantheon of childhood sports movies? Because as you know, I just said, I am a Mighty Ducks person, specifically a Mighty Ducks 2 person. That is my personal favorite because you get Keenan Thompson coming in with the knuckle puck. Uh, you get some some just great one-liners, including uh, Greenland is full of ice and Iceland is very nice, which helped me through geography classes later as a uh, high school student. So that's that's number one for me, but I'm curious where this movie specifically ranks for you. I was going to say, you seem like kind of that Iceland guy. You seem like you're probably into that, yeah? Oh, Absolutely. 
<laughs> okay. So first off, before I get into like my rankings of childhood things, I actually want to talk about Rick Moranis because it's such an underrated Rick Moranis movie. And I feel like there's this gap because for those that don't know and aren't like movie buffs and whatever. So he was like a big in the eighties movies. Like Ghostbusters. Yes. Yes. So all of these great movies and like it stirred up all these like thoughts and whatever. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like my blue heaven parenthood. He was in so many really good movies. And then if you know the story, unfortunately it's a little bit tragic. So his, his wife passed away. She had breast cancer, I believe. And Rick Moranis left Hollywood to raise his kids and he's kind of come back recently. I think he appeared in a commercial that with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there, it's kind of cool that like all of a sudden there's this Rick Moranis reference and he's kind of starting to come back and maybe he'll do some movies and, and all that. So he's such a cool character. He played all these kind of like really like straight man kind of dad sort of things. And he's kind of got this dorky sort of quality to him. It, every, you know, like growing up, he was, he was always one of like the funny guys in, in all of the, uh, the comedy movies, but okay. So anyway, my rankings, it's, I, I didn't quite do like a, like a full list. It's somewhere in like around the top five, I guess. But I would say like off the top of my head, so I like Mighty Ducks better. It's just a better all-around movie. But there was a few other ones. So I'm going to give you one. Have you seen Little Big League as a Minnesotan? See, this is a blind spot. I have not seen it. I have seen most sports movies that reference Minnesota in any tangential way. I am the guy who, when I first watched uh, Moneyball, I was upset specifically because there's a climatic playoff moment where the guy batting for the Oakland A's flies out to the wrong side of the diamond. He flies out to third base in the movie and he flew out to uh, first base in real life. And I remember specifically being in a basement watching that game. So I take pride in paying attention to these little Minnesota sports references, but that is another blind spot for me. I must confess. Yeah. Okay. So, so at the end of this podcast, at some point your project is not only do you have to watch little giants, but you have to watch a little big league. So it's it's such a it's like totally cheesy you know like the kid ends up owning the minnesota twins like a 12 year old kid and then he manages the twins but it's great it's so funny but anyway so me personally my favorite like kids sports movie is kicking and screaming the will ferrell movie like by far that movie like is just tops. I Mike Ditka and Robert Duvall and Will Ferrell is like just on the edge of like 11 on his volume, but it doesn't quite go over. They're just able to pull the reins in on him, but Oh, it's so funny. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Kicking and screaming to me. (laughs) That's another one that I just think is absolutely the greatest. That is an absolutely beautiful movie. uh, Mainly because as you said, the cast of characters, Surrounding Will Ferrell is great because I love Will Ferrell. I loved him on Saturday Night Live. I've watched pretty much all of his movies. And the fact that they got uh, Robert Duvall of, you know, the Godfather to be in this Will Ferrell movie where he yells at Mike Ditka to get him a juice box is fantastic. (laughs) It is uh, just phenomenal. The coffee shop scene still kills me, too. There's so much good stuff uh, in that movie. And of course, as uh, Dave has informed us, so much good stuff in Little Giants. But because there was other stuff that happened 
in the Golden Knights regular season so far. We'll leave that conversation there uh, and talk about what else went on in the week that was. Uh, that was one of the Knights' three wins in the past week. As I mentioned, they beat the Anaheim Ducks in overtime 2-1 in that one. That was their second game of the year. In their first game of the year, they beat the Ducks 5-2, and then they beat the Arizona Coyotes uh, 4-2 on Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday, and they're going to take on the Coyotes yet again tonight. It's actually the second meeting of four consecutive between the two teams, which will be a first in NHL regular season history, uh, which is crazy. Um, To sum kind of all three of these games up, I think the easiest way to describe it is the Knights are taking care of business against teams we think that they are better than, uh, despite not being fully up to speed or fully locked in yet. Uh, they've actually been outscored 5-3 to three over the first two periods so far this season, but they are 3-0 and because they're winning the third period 7 to nothing, and they have that overtime goal that led to the great reference as well. Uh, Pete DeBoer on Monday was basically like, hey, it's a condensed season. Not every win is going to look pretty, but we'll take it. Uh, do you think that pretty much has to be the approach right now, Dave, is you just bank as many wins as you can and don't really uh, overanalyze it? Or have there been any real warning signs through three games for the Knights? I mean, I think there's things if you're a coach and you're Pete DeBoer, you you probably like because you can go back and correct. And it gives you something to show on the video and all that. The fact that they haven't come right out and just steamrolled everybody. Uh, you have a little bit of a slow burn, I think, you know, with regards to this. And there's a little more urgency like we've talked about because it's a 56-game season, obviously, and not the regular 82. And you have to get up to speed a little little quicker. The two points seem to matter a little bit more, I guess, when it's a 56-game sample size rather than the full 82. So you don't want to give away points. But I do think there's a little element of, like, building and peaking, and you don't want to, like you know, just necessarily be playing your best hockey right now. The fact that they're able to find a way, the fact that they're able to flip the switch, turn it on in the third period, and as, as poorly, I guess, or or maybe as, as well as Arizona played in the first two periods of the game last, or the other night, excuse me, you have to credit the Golden Knights for how they played in the third period and the way that they were able to kind of turn the tables and get done what they needed to get done. And, and they found a way kind of in all these games. Mark Stone obviously provided the spark, you know, in the first game. William Carlson was able to get the late, you know, goal in the uh, second game that sent it to overtime. So a lot of that is finding a way. And then, you know, the other thing too, I think that's encouraging is some of the way that they've scored, you know, close to the blue paint or in the case of Chandler Stevenson without a stick in his hand. I mean, he scores with his butt basically. So the fact that they're able to kind of do those things, find a way to, you know, manufacture some goals when things aren't perfect and going their way, because that's sort of a criticism of them. I think it's a good sign. And the fact that they can correct things and and Pete DeBoer has stuff to go over, you know, it's probably not the worst thing in the world in January. Yeah, you'd obviously rather be three, you know, and have things to improve on than the opposite where, you know, you think you're, playing great and you still don't get the results. So we'll see how they adjust moving forward here. Uh, some things that we can also talk about that have stuck out early. Uh, you mentioned Mark Stone, Dave, uh, kind of the whole top six definitely looks to be ready to go. They have uh, started on time to use a hockey cliche. 
Stone leads the team with five points. Uh, Max Pacioretty already has three goals, and Chandler Stevenson has that goal that he scored without a stick, as you mentioned, Dave, because uh, Zach Whitecloud basically hit him in the back and the puck went in. Uh, Stevenson also has two assists. And then Jonathan Marcheseau has uh, three points, and William Carlson and Riley Smith each have two. So good start for those top two lines. Uh, the penalty kill has already kind of maintained its momentum that it built in the bubble. It's seven for eight so far this year with a shorthanded empty net goal to go along with that. Uh, there have already been at least four shorthanded breakaways that I can think of off the top of my head. So that's certainly a good sign as well. Uh, Pete Tabor is known for having really good penalty killing teams. And it sure seems like he really is making his mark there with this group. And then finally, the goaltending has been really good so far. Uh, the Knights have alternated Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury in the first three games. Leonard's gotten two starts. Fleury's gotten one. All three of those starts have been quality starts. Uh, the Ducks and Coyotes aren't exactly known for these prolific offenses. I don't think either of us uh, expects them to uh, score too many goals this year compared to the rest of the league. But you still have to hand it to Leonard and Fleury. They have a combined 934 save percentage and 168 goals against average, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, I guess the one thing to point out or ask here, Dave, is Leonard got the first start and the third start. So he got the first nod for the Golden Knights this season. Pete DeBoer has said he kind of plans on alternating these guys early and then he'll adjust from there depending on how they look. Was there any surprise at all in your mind that Leonard was the first one in the net? OK, so I don't want to get called out because there's probably proof in a slack a message somewhere of me saying that I thought Flurry might start. <laughs> so I have to confess to that so I don't get called out. But I mean, in, in reality, like, no, I mean, it's not really a surprise. I think I'll give a little bit of my, my reasoning for why I'd sent that message was at the time Leonard had had a maintenance day, he's coming off the surgery. We weren't like a hundred percent, you know, was it going to be healthy? And I actually felt like during training camp, Marc-Andre Fleury was at least equal to, if not the better goaltender in training camp. I, I kind of felt like maybe he earned it in a way. And if there was a, a chance to rest Leonard, you know, if there was any question of that, you know, then you go with Fleury. But clearly, I think, again, the message is that Robin Leonard is the, the number one guy. He's going to be the long-term goalie. I think anytime there's a game that Pete DeBoer feels is important and he wants his quote unquote best goaltender or the guy who gives him the best chance to win in between the pipes that right now he, you know, he's going to lean toward Robin Leonard as this goes along. And as you mentioned, if we continue to rotate and then I think it becomes performance based. And as long as both guys are playing, then, then they're probably going to both earn starts, but I will say it's a small sample size. It's only three games but I don't think they could have drawn it up any better than how it's worked so far. I don't think they've played real well in any of those games. And, and I'm not saying their goalies stole it for them, but they held them in it. And I definitely think Flurry was borderline great in his start and had, you know, as much to do with them stealing those two points as probably anybody didn't even get one of the three stars in that game. So I think you have to give the nod in a lot of ways to, the goaltenders and what they've done and contributed to this 3-0 start so far. 
hope you're all sitting down because we have to tell you something monumental. We love sports betting and whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors, the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network PRO subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Network PRO subscription, you can access the PRO report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game so you can see what teams the professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of PRO systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network PRO subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual PRO subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com now and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code VEGASNATION. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a PRO subscription and use promo code VEGASNATION to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. Yeah, I think you could definitely make the argument that, you know, as you kind of were hinting at there, that Flurry actually did kind of steal him uh, one of those games so far this season. And I think we mentioned on the podcast before, but I think it's worth pointing out the Golden Knights did not get good goaltending in the regular season last year. I believe they were 21st in team save percentage. Obviously, the bulk of that is because of their tandem of uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Malcolm Subban. And so obviously, I think, you know, swapping out a Subban for Robin Leonard is a huge upgrade. And I think, you know, it's easy to forget because Robin Leonard came to this team over 11 months ago, but that's a big upgrade for this regular season. And that's certainly been the case so far. And obviously we've talked, you know, for years now about how the Golden Knights have typically put together really good skater groups. And now if they all of a sudden get, you know, top 10 ish goaltending, that's going to make them a really, really hard team to stop. And now that we've kind of hit on what I think are kind of the big broad topics of why, you know, the team is performing pretty well so far early in the year and is three, and zero. I want to get into the weeds a little bit and talk about things that are not necessarily concerns, but just things that are intriguing so far. So the first one is obviously the fact that the Knights played the first two games of the year with five defensemen. They started the year with 13 forwards and just those five D. And then because, you know, those guys minutes were getting a little high through two games, they called up Nick Haig for game three and sent Cody glass to this taxi squad to go back to the traditional 12 and six. And like I said, we're recording this before uh, a game on Wednesday against the coyotes, but it certainly appeared based on how morning skate was set up that they're going to keep that and go with 12 and six with Hag in the lineup again tonight. Uh, all of this has kind of been done in part to keep uh, Keegan Colasar, who would have to go on waivers to be sent to the taxi squad or the AHL uh, on the NHL roster. So uh, Keegan Colasar is projected to be on the third line tonight. He was at fourth line center for the third game. And then for the first two games, he was kind of just a 13th forward alternating between the third and fourth lines, you know, getting pretty sporadic shifts throughout the game. Um, and the Knights kind of have to choose one of 
Hague or Glass if they also want to keep King Colasar on the roster uh, because they can't have all three of those guys at the same time or else they're over the salary cap. So is this kind of how they're going to have to set it up all season, Dave, where they're kind of rotating Glass and Hague in and out depending on you know their needs or I guess who's hot for lack of a better term because they seem to be pretty committed to keeping Keegan Colasar uh, with the big club for now. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of salary cap gymnastics and, you know, I'm the first to admit that I'm not the best in terms of, you know, doing the numbers, playing with the math. There's some, you know, obviously some really good sites that we all rely on. Puckpedia, uh, cap friendly. I'm kind of messing actually with, with cap friendly right now to see like what fits and what works. Like I'm throwing a lineup in with, uh, it would have Cody Glass in the lineup, Nick Hague in the lineup. And at least on cap friendly, it's showing that it's under a little bit, 159,000 uh, of cap space still. So I wonder how much of this is math and them having to sort of maneuver and not being able to have, you know, Cody Glass and Nick Hague on the roster at the same time for math reasons and salary cap reasons. Versus, I mean, here's the other thing too. It's very clear that they feel like they would lose Keegan Colasar if they put him on waivers. That they have some knowledge it's somewhere along the way based on, you know, probably conversations in the offseason while he was an RFA, you know, that teams would pick him up if they put him on waivers. And I think until he maybe plays his way out of a team being interested in him or until the Knights feel like strategically there's a point here coming up where they can slip him through and nobody will pick him up. As long as they're committed to him being on the roster and his salary and, and salary cap hit, which is, let's see here, where's Keegan Colasar? I lost you, Keegan. 725000 So that's obviously gives them a little bit of wiggle room. It gives them some, some math that they can sort of play with versus, you know, Cody Glass at 863, Nick Hague listed here at 791 and a little bit of change. So it doesn't sound like a whole lot of difference, but you know, when the cap is calculated daily and they're trying to accrue space so that down the road, maybe they can do something in the trade deadline like they did last year. You know, it's all part of their strategy. I guess you can't criticize it until it costs them, you know, in the standings until Cody Glass not being in the lineup and say Keegan Colasar being in there and maybe, you know, not producing or not playing enough and other guys wearing out or whatever until it affects them in that way. You know, this is sort of the sacrifice that they've made to have Alex Petrangelo on the roster to keep Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, and to do some of the things that they've done to put themselves into a position that they feel gives them a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to, you know, see how Colasar kind of adjusts to the NHL moving forward. I am intrigued to see him potentially on the third line tonight at right wing because certainly I think, you know, from both sides of it, I don't think, you know, he's necessarily stuck out as a positive contributor yet. Um, I mean, first of all, keep in mind, Keegan Colasar is still... 23 he had only played in one nhl game before this season and as i said the knights originally put him as like kind of a 13th rotating forward for the first two games and then last game he was at fourth line center which he can play center 
but it's just not kind of his natural position, not the position that he probably ultimately is going to settle in at the NHL level. So I think it's easy to argue that he has not exactly been put in a position to succeed yet. So it's certainly not worth kind of, you know, pulling the plug and saying, you know what, let's just see what we have as uh, glass and hag and make them full-time NHLers. You know, it makes sense to keep giving Colas our chances. He also has a 20 goal AHL season under his belt. So there's definitely some offensive talent there too to look at. Um, but just, yeah, as you mentioned, Dave, this is kind of the the sacrifice that they're willing to make. And we'll see, you know, not only, you know, will it cost them games, but just obviously you have to wonder how the, it'll affect the development ultimately of Cody Glass and Nick Hag, who are, you know, were two of their higher rated prospects before they made their NHL debuts. Glass, obviously the first draft pick in franchise history, six overall in 2017, Hag a second round pick. And I think, you know, obviously in an ideal world, those guys would just be in the NHL this year, kind of learning and growing and, you know, to kind of taking their lumps a little bit so that they could, you know, really be locked in as key contributors by the end of the season. Uh, Right now, it doesn't really seem like that's possible. So I'm curious, you know, whether we're going to see when the AHL season starts up and the Silver Knights start playing, they're actually conducting training camp right now. We're going to see those guys go back and forth and potentially get both AHL and NHL games in pretty often to kind of keep those guys, you know, as fresh and as sharp as possible. Yeah. And I mean, obviously with that comes Peyton Krebs and sort of where he factors into all of this and, you know, he's got a little bit of time here. And I guess to use the, as you said earlier, the hockey cliche, he's got a little bit of runway in terms of the WHL season. And when that starts, I feel like in just the Knights are going to try to do everything they can to keep him around. I, I think he, he in particular will be interesting to see if he can work his way up into the lineup, you know, whether it's taking one step up to the taxi squad and then moving in, you know, potentially and getting a game or two and then seeing, you know, where he's at. And then, you know, at that point evaluating, you know, maybe what can they do with Colasar? What is the best way, I guess, for him to kind of fit in and, and how how can they sort of, you know, maneuver the roster and, and construct things going forward. I, I think to an earlier point and, and, you know, I was talking about this with somebody else, but, you know, I think it's unrelated, but the COVID stuff is just going to be so important. And, and we've seen it around the league already in terms of the effect it's had on Dallas and then the effect it's had on other teams, you know, Carolina now, and then the teams that were scheduled to play, you know, Dallas and Carolina, like Florida, I don't mean to, um, you know, belittle anything or, or minimize the impact of this, but the teams that can manage it, the teams that can avoid it and, you know, I guess knock on wood, never have it become an, a, an outbreak to use the word that happened in Dallas, never have to go re- to really the taxi squad. They, they can, you know, use these players for a little bit of load management and rest here and there. I think that's just going to be one of the biggest things that we see going forward this season. Absolutely. Oh, uh, well, I want to wrap up with one more point because I realized uh, based on the timing of our podcast last week, uh, we didn't discuss some pretty important news that also uh, affected the Golden Knights before they took the ice for their season opener. And that is the fact that Mark Stone was named the first ever captain of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, the first captain in the fourth season 
of franchise history. Uh, you know, Dave, we've done podcasts before during the pause and then kind of in the off season talking about how, you know, we would have made Bar- Mark Stone just the odds on betting favorite to be named captain. It seemed so obvious that this was the direction they were going to go in. It seemed very obvious that this was the direction specifically that uh, DeBoer wanted to go in. And it even seemed at times during the postseason that the Knights were already kind of pushing Stone as their captain in waiting. So I don't think either of us are surprised that they made that official right before uh, the puck drop for the regular season. But I guess just what are your thoughts now that that C is actually on his chest? I think even Kelly McCrimmon used the word obvious when he was sort of describing it in terms of, you know, the first three years, they, they always talked about it and they decided to stick with a leadership group. But this year when they talked about it, it was an obvious guy. I think it's an interesting sort of challenge, I guess, that Mark Stone has with this locker room and sort of the expectations that are put on this team. Uh, you know, it's not all going to fall on him, but, you know, being a captain in the NHL is a big responsibility. There's a lot of sort of other stuff, I guess you could say that comes with it. And we saw it in the first game, you know, just in the third period and needing a spark. And yes, it's cliche to, to say, you know, that's why you name a captain. And as I wrote, but that's why you name a captain. Those are the, the, the things that they do, the spark that they provide, the inspiration that, you know, a team needs. And I think it'll be interesting going forward just to see how the Knights in the locker room and sort of the organization as a whole sort of take on Mark Stone's personality and and how he fits in and and sort of the leadership style that he takes on. We're going to obviously see him, you know, a lot in the community. We're going to see him a lot of, you know, on the Zooms after losses and things like that. That's what a captain has to do and is going to do. So, you know, everybody... You know, when he signed, you know, came here and signed. And if anybody had a question of, is he going to be here long term? I think, you know, all of this sort of answers it. And, you know, he's he's really the guy, I think, more than anything, as we've talked about, that sets the tone. And whether it's just vocally behind closed doors that we don't necessarily see or, you know, the emotion and the expressive Mark Stone that we see on the ice, I, I I think that's me, you know, especially what this team sort of needed. If it was going to name a captain, I feel like he's sort of straight from central casting in that regard. Yeah. And I think you make a good point. And it's not just that he sets the tone for, you know, the Golden Knights NHL team. It's that he really does it for kind of the organization as a whole. I mean, you hear a guy like, uh, you know, Peyton Krebs, who was the Knights first round pick in 2019. Now he's in Silver Knights camp. And, you know, previously, right after he got drafted while he was rehabbing an Achilles injury, and then later, uh, kind of right before last postseason, before the Knights went into the bubble, you know, he stayed with Mark Stone. And he talked about, you know, yesterday, like, he didn't know me, he didn't have to do that. But that's just what Mark Stone did. And, you know, Peyton Krebs had a quote, basically, of like, if that isn't leadership, I don't know what is. And so the fact that, you know, you can already see kind of, Mark Stone's, you know, leadership qualities take root, not just with the Golden Knights, but throughout the organization of, you know, Mark Stone talked when he got the C about how he had a captain that really took care of him when he first got in the NHL. So now he wants to pay that forward to younger guys. And so I think you're going to continue to see Mark Stone's influence kind of trickle throughout 
uh, you know, not just the Golden Knights, but the Silver Knights, but potentially a lot of the younger prospects that the Knights ultimately will bring into the organization. And that's one of the reasons why you make him a captain too. And obviously, you know, Mark Stone being a guy who was a six round pick, who was told, you know, he probably wasn't going to make it in the NHL because he couldn't skate really well. And then just, you know, dedicated himself to fixing that and, you know, becoming a guy who's all of his other abilities in terms of, you know, hockey IQ, hockey sense, passing, all those things, he kind of elevated them to a level where even if his skating wasn't, you know, Connor McDavid level, it didn't matter. Uh, It was a pretty, you know, important example that you can set for your organization as well. You know, there's a lot of guys in Henderson that are fighting to make a name for themselves in pro hockey right now. And they can point to Mark Stone as a guy who wasn't necessarily uh, handed that much, but still ended up becoming kind of the face of his organization. Uh, So that's going to do it for this edition of the golden edge podcast. Uh, We will be giving you guys these episodes each week as the golden Knights season spins along. Obviously it's coming at us fast and furious. We are literally seven days in and we're about to watch our fourth game tonight but we are so so excited that hockey is back we hope you guys are excited as well just a reminder that the golden edge podcast is presented by action network Uh, also if you guys could check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com that would be much appreciated and if you could rate review subscribe whatever you do podcast do to this one we would really appreciate it Uh, i'm ben ghost that's dave shane we are the golden edge podcast And we'll talk to you guys again real soon. Don't forget to watch Little Giants.